Turn with me to Proverbs 5. We're in a, a series called The Good Life and, and looking at what it is to design or build a, a, a life based on God's wisdom. And uh, as Kelly said, I drew the short straw. Uh, it's not typically wise to come first time to a congregation and, and speak on, on sex, but that, for better or for worse, is what I'm going to do. And I know that the atmosphere, the weather is, is frosty, um, and when you speak on, on sex very easily, the, the atmosphere inside can get a bit frosty for a, a number of reasons. People kind of, it's like, it's like in football when they ice the kicker. People can, can ice the preacher. And, and, and I'm asking uh, that you will work with me and walk with me because very few people hear a message, oh, the preacher's gonna talk on sexuality and just feel relaxed. Uh, some people, especially if you're new to church, you kind of go, well, is that even something that should be talked about in church? Does God really care about, about sexual ethics and practice, etc.? Other, others of us feel a real sense of regret and shame and pain, and so that causes us to lean backwards and not forwards. Almost all of us have some sort of regret. Um, and, and some have, have not regret, but, but a great sense of woundedness because people have sinned against us sexually. And then, and then others are just, are just tired of resisting temptation, especially in terms of singles, either before marriage or you, you were married and you're not, and it just, it's, it's just tiring and it's, it's hard because you go like, oh, this is great, series on sex, but, but I, I, all I do is have to flee sexual immorality. I mean, it's like, what do I do? And so I understand that I'm, I'm gonna make a deal with you. I'm gonna ask that as I walk graciously, in truth, that you don't walk out, uh, that you lean in, that you help the atmosphere not to be frosty, but, but to be warm. Because actually, sex is God's thing. Uh, God deeply cares about sex, and we'll, we'll see this. And he, and, and he cares about how the gift is, is held and used. And, and, and even better than that, God is not just a designer of sex, he's a redeemer. And, and so all of us, no matter where we've gone sexually, can, can come to Jesus, who is the great redeemer, and say, I have regret, but actually, it's never too late to start walking your way. So, Lord, we, we thank you for your word, Proverbs 5. And uh, we remember that actually this word was written through a man who sinned sexually incredibly. And so there's not an ounce of judgment in this word, even though it's strong. But, but I pray that you would empower me to preach the whole counsel of God in grace and truth, and that you'd help all of us to receive the word and put it into practice for your glory and our good. And everyone said, amen. amen. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. I'm gonna read the whole chapter. That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. 
I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his path, paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. Healthy families talk about sex in appropriate, discreet ways. Doesn't mean it's not awkward, but healthy families do that. And that's why the church as a family, we don't skip over Scripture's teaching about sex. We don't just talk about money and, and, and work and wisdom with our words, but, but we, we realize this is part of what a healthy family does. And the context of, of this particular cha chapter is a sex talk from a father to a son. My son, listen to my words. Any of you parents done the sex talk with your, your kids? It, it's never easy. We have three kids. Our oldest is 18, youngest is 11. And, uh, and I remember the first time I had to give a sex talk to my oldest son, and I felt so awkward about it. I, my mom gave me the sex talk, and she did well, but that was awkward. I'm like, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to have my wife tell my sons. I'm going to tell my, my sons. And I remember we were sitting in my bedroom. I was at my study desk, and my son Asher was was there, and uh, I noticed on his Facebook that he'd, he'd befriended some fairly pretty girls. And I was feeling like awkward. He was about 11, I needed to talk about this. And so I actually Facebook messaged him, even though he was in the room. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I was just like, uh, I think we need to talk. And he was like, what about? Uh, I think we need to talk about those pretty girls. And so we put down our phones and I wheeled my office chair towards him and we had this talk. Uh, you know it's got easier over time. Uh, Sophia, our, our daughter, Renelle, spoke to her and she was just incredibly candid. Uh, I mean, she, she just shot back with all these strange questions about, well, how often do you have sex? And on a scale of one to 10, how enjoyable is it? It's just like, no, 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 that's not what the talk is about, you know? <laughs> but, but actually, this last two weeks, uh, two weeks ago, we sat with our youngest son over dinner and my daughter was there, and it was so natural and so unawkward. My, my daughter just, just helped us with the sex talk, and Renelle and I looked and said, we finished, it's over. <laughs> I mean, it's not really over, but at least you know, we've done that. Healthy families talk about sex, even if it's a little bit awkward or a lot awkward, it gets easier as you do it in, in appropriate ways. And so I, I'm not gonna be fully explicit. This is not gonna be how to have a more satisfactory sex life, although there will be some help. But I'm gonna look at, firstly, the danger of sex outside of God's limits. I don't wanna get overly heavy, but, but actually, that's how Solomon begins. He, he, he begins with the danger of seduction and what it is to repent and, and walk away from adultery. 
And then we're gonna look at what it is to, to rejoice in the gift of sex from God's point of view. And then we, we, we're gonna land in, in what it is to reorientate ourselves around Jesus in our sexuality irrespective of our season of life. The broad message of the book of Proverbs is folly versus wisdom. Folly is, is going our own way and getting really hurt. And wisdom is, is kind of the long way round. Often God's ways are the long way around. They, they're the hard ways, but, but it always ends up that actually we are safe and fulfilled. One brings danger and the other brings wonder. And so the first point is, how do we recognize seduction when it comes? And that's what Solomon is, is, is speaking to his son about. He's saying, be attentive, like believe you me, this is gonna happen, it might not be happening to you now, son or daughter, but actually time will come when someone will come, he speaks about a woman, but we know it's not just a woman, and this, this person, their words will be like honey. They will be sweet and smooth. But he, he goes on to say, although they will be smoother, sweeter than honey and smoother than oil, in the end, they will be as bitter as wormwood. Now, wormwood was a plant that was not only bitter, it was poisonous. And so he begins with sexual seduction with smooth, sweet lips, but actually ending with steps going down to the two-edged sword of death. Beware of seduction. Solomon is saying that, that seduction starts with words, not with steps. It begins with believing someone's words. It's very difficult to resist someone who is complimenting you, telling you how wise you are, or how skillful you are, or how beautiful you are, or man, you know, my husband just doesn't listen to me, but you are so empathetic. Or my wife, you know, she's so unaffectionate, but I love your warm hugs. It, it, it can start with words. My best friend had an affair with one of his closest friend's wives. And I asked him, how did this happen? It was, it was absolutely tragic. They were leading a powerful church, powerful ministry. His wife was drop dead gorgeous. And they actually had a very, very healthy sex life. And I said, what, what started the rot, and he said, you know what, it wasn't lust, it was tenderness. He says, our marriage, although it was passionate, was not tender, it was harsh. And there was my friend's wife who was tender, and she encouraged me with her words, and it just lured me in. He, tragically, is now married to that lady, but he said, it started with tenderness because my marriage was not tender, few men can resist Encouraging tender words, beware of the lips of honey, smooth of oil. Of course, seduction is not just talking about from a woman to a man. It can be from a man to a woman. It can be from a woman to a woman, a man to a man, uh, uh, an adult to a child. It never begins just with lust. It always begins with words. Beware, he's saying. All of us have our own kryptonite, don't we? We, 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 we have that kind of disorientation sexually that, that, that is a weakness, and it's different. And the word of God is asking that we would be aware of our weakness and the kind of person that could 
seduce us. It ends up disgusting. It, it, it starts sweet and smooth. It ends up bitter as wormwood. And Solomon pleads with his son. He says, beware the words of the forbidden woman. They taste like honey, but lead to death. You know, this is so countercultural because our, our culture says, if you have a desire, if you have a proclivity, if you have an orientation to something, to be true to yourself is to live it out. And whether it's talking about same-sex attraction or an orientation to uh, sleep with someone outside of marriage or just an orientation to sleep around or an orientation towards pornography, an orientation towards prostitution, our culture generally today will say the only thing that it's off limits is when it's not consensual. So we know what's blowing up in, in Hollywood, which has virtually no objective morality sexually, is saying, well actually men force themselves upon women. And they go, that is off limits. And I would agree, absolutely off limits. But when the only thing that's off limits is that it's not consensual, and everything else is, what happens is, if I have a desire, if I'm lured, if I'm attracted to something or someone, and they agree, there's great agreement here, the, the forbidden woman is, is saying, no, come, come to my, it's okay, and to be true to yourself, to your orientation, is to act out on, a, on it. Cheryl Crow, that, I love Cheryl Crow, and she sings that old song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. <laughs> And Solomon would confront that idea of an orientation means I must practice and that becomes my identity. How is the Christian sexual ethic unique from that? What, what causes us to go, actually there's some things that are just forbidden. The forbidden man, the forbidden woman, the forbidden child. It's that we understand that our first parents, Adam and Eve, lost their orientation sexually in the fall. That, that, that the tempter who was subtle came with honey words that were smooth and said, did God really say? You see, there was the whole, all the, the garden, all these beautiful trees, but there was the one forbidden tree, forbidden fruit. And you know that we have a proclivity, we have a tendency to forget the garden and just want what's forbidden. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Our, our, our orientation has been messed up in the fall. It's almost like if you take a compass and you drop it. That compass will, will, will point a few degrees off. It gets disorientated. And Christians have an understanding that because of the fall, our sexual orientation is actually often a disorientation. We're confused. Our desires are not always pure, and therefore there is something that is a higher authority, a true north, higher authority than our desires. Not all of your desires are off, but a Christian believes actually the words of God are our true north. And in the storm of seduction and disorientation, I go, I am feeling this, I don't have to, I don't have to deny this, but actually what I feel what I desire is not the final authority. The final authority is the word of God through the storm of seduction. I'm amazed how many men I've counseled who have drop-dead gorgeous wives who are actually very affectionate but who are still lost 
in porn. It's not like, well, if my wife was hotter, then I wouldn't do this. Actually, men with incredibly attractive wives still have that sense of, well, whatever, whatever I can't have, I want that. I want that, what, what, what's forbidden. If I say to you, don't think of a pink elephant right now. Right? You're just like, well, I just, I just, I was told not to and I just find myself doing that. That's something of our wiring. Why? Because we are fallen. And therefore we go, God, you are redeeming me, but actually my desires are not the highest authority. I, under God, have freedom and authority to walk away from my orientation or my disorientation towards the higher authority and orientation of the word of God. We, like Solomon, can say, God did really say. When the serpent of seduction says, no, God didn't really say that. You'll surely not die. It'll be fine. We can humbly say, my desire is raging, but God really did say. And there really is consequence, and there really is a way out of this. That's where it begins. Secondly, resist and repent of infidelity or adultery. I, I'm not sure of the best word to use. Some say sexual immorality. I use the word infidelity because essentially it's the broad unfaithfulness to God's limits and intentions for sex. So Solomon progresses to say, don't just recognize seduction. Walk right away from it. Don't even go near the door of the forbidden woman. Don't flirt, don't flatter, don't look, don't fantasize, don't text, don't call, don't be a hero. Remember Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, oh that's so radical. But, but, but actually he's saying don't be a hero, don't, don't hang around the door, just walk right past. Remember the apostle Paul said, flee sexual immorality. Actually none of us can just hang around temptation indefinitely and stand. All of us are called to walk right past the door. I started playing spin the bottle with girls when I was 12. And, and honestly, it's, it's, it's tragic because it set me off on a trajectory. By God's grace, I've only ever slept with one woman, my wife. But I tell you, I've got such regret because as a 12-year-old, I started experimenting. Spin the bottle. We'd just sit in a circle and, we, and we'd... And we'd in front of everyone, just, just French kiss for long as 12 years old, 12 year old. And that sent me off on a trajectory of serial dating where I've got so much re regret and I, and I look and I just go, I, I actually wish my parents had been a bit more firm and, and just say, actually, you, you, even if you're not sleeping with those girls, you, you're hanging around the door of seduction, just, just walk away. And I'm grateful that my parents weren't legalistic but I actually, in retrospect, go, I wish they'd warned me that you can't just hang around there and go nowhere. You will end up going somewhere, whether it's Snapchat or Instagram or you know, sexting, etc. That stuff is a doorway. It's, it's the gateway drug to more. None of us are strong enough just to hang around the door. After a time, you just want to go into the house. There's a progressive, because what happens is the law of diminishing returns. What starts is, oh, I just love holding this girl's hand. It's amazing. It's just amazing. In a month's time, it's like, this is kind of, the novelty's worn off. I need to do something else. The law of diminishing returns. I've got to put my arm around. Then I've got, I've got to kiss it. Then I've got to use my tongue. And then, then we've got to, etc., etc. The law of diminishing returns is at work in all of us. And so there's a call to just walk away. I used to work for a record company. And... Uh, as often happens in record companies, is to get your music played, 
by DJs in the day. You remember those days when we used to have real compact discs, like CDs, when people actually used to pay for music? It was good old days, right? And, uh, and we used to send, well, what used to happen was you'd send a bill, a $100 bill, inside the CD, and the DJ, you'd, you'd bribe the person to play your track. And so my boss, who was, was an upright man, said, we're not gonna bribe like those other record companies, we're just gonna wine and dine the DJs. Much more honest, and I was like, yeah, I'm for that. And I found myself one day, whining and dining, a beautiful, famous DJ. And her words were like honey. <laughs> and they were smooth as oil. And I was like, well, I'm not bri bribing. And I found myself being drawn in. By God's grace, I raced home, confessed to my wife, said to my boss, I cannot wine and dine that lady. She's my kryptonite. And actually, honestly, I'm so grateful, grateful the grace of God to go like, oh, no, 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 I can handle it. No, actually, I could not handle it. She was kryptonite. That's to be a hero, is actually to realize I'm weak in this area. I'm walking past that door. And the consequences of not rejecting it are dire. It says uh, that infidelity will take your honor. In other words, your reputation, your years, it'll waste your time, your, your strength, your, your energy, your money, your health, your, your faith. Solomon says, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The great irony of this, and hear the urgency of Solomon's words, he's essentially saying to his son, don't do what I did, boy. Don't do what I did. Because history, biblical history, tells us that Solomon's kryptonite was woman. And he actually used his power, kingly power, to legislate having hundreds, hundreds of wives and concubines. So what he's saying here is like, no, no, just drink from one well. He was unable to live it out. He was a sex addict. And essentially he's saying, don't be like me who despised reproof. And what we're told is that Solomon lost his faith because the idols, the other gods that these women worshipped, he began to worship them, and ultimately he lost his faith, lost his love for the Lord, and lost his kingdom. You say, no, 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 it's, I mean, it's just, it's just a roll in the sheets, nothing. Actually, sexual infidelity is merciless. It'll come and eat like Pac-Man, your strength, your years, your reputation, your money, your relationships, your job. I'm working with a man right now who got caught in porn, then got caught in prostitution, and it seems like he's gonna lose his job. It doesn't stop, it doesn't stop. It's dire. I wish that Solomon had listened to his father David's advice. He was the son too of King David, an adulterer. And we learn from David that God is gracious, gracious. He restores, but actually it requires a heart of repentance. We learn true repentance from David. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Against you and you only have I sinned, King David said after he had slept with Bathsheba and organized to have her husband murdered. Against you and you only have I sinned. You see, friends, true repentance, when we've sinned sexually, is not just regret and shame. It's actually, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Often when we get caught out, when we get found out, we hate the fact that we might lose our marriage or lose our reputation, lose our ministry. 
But David did not say, do not take my kingdom away from me. Do not take my reputation. Do not take my wife. He said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, the heart of repentance is realizing that sexual infidelity is actually spiritual infidelity. It's unfaithfulness towards God. It's a lack of trust in him. And so David ran from the arms of Bathsheba into the arms of the father. That's what true repentance looks like. What else does true repentance look like when we've seen sexually? It has geography. We don't just say, I'm so sorry, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit. We walk away from that door, walk right past the door. We are willing to actually leave a job, leave town, because this person is seducing us. Leave the school, leave relationships. We actually walk past the door. It has geography. And then true repentance means that we will confess not just to God but to others. David confessed to the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12. This is what Bonhoeffer says about confession of sin. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. Can I plead with you? Bring that thing into the light. I know that there's fear that you'll feel shame. I have only found that confession has brought deeper fellowship only found that. In a healthy community, confession not just to God, but to others brings deeper fellowship. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins one to another, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. The lie of the devil will say, if you confess, you will be shunned. The exact opposite is true. If you confess, not only will you be forgiven, you will have deeper fellowship. Confession is saying, oh, you too? You also struggle with this? Oh my gosh, okay, well we're not just gonna do it to get, we, but actually we're saying, let's watch one another. Let's walk with one another. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds. When I have confessed temptation and weakness, whether to my wife, my friends, my elders, it's only brought deeper fellowship, I plead with you. All right, enough of the heavy stuff. Let's get onto the good stuff. You ready for that? You doing all right? This is amazing, isn't it? This is where it gets fun and just a little bit uh, explicit, but, but the third is to rejoice in the wonder of marital intimacy, of sex and God's limits. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Solomon uses two ideas for, for sex according to God's limits. The first is fire in the fireplace. In other words, fire is dangerous outside of the fireplace, but it's beautiful in the fireplace. That's what sex according to God's limits is. The other is drinking deeply from a well. And he compares sex in marriage between a man and a woman like drinking deeply 
from a well. Now, we don't have wells around here, not, not many anyway, but for an Israelite, in a semi-arid, drought-ridden place, a well was something that was absolutely life-saving and life-giving. You didn't just sip from a well. You, I mean, you, you just dove down that well. You gulped and you drank deeply. And he is comparing sex within God's marriage to sex out God, outside God's marriage from drinking deeply from one well versus sipping like a dog from polluted little puddles on the street. See, our culture will say, well, to be sexually fulfilled, we need to sleep with as many people as possible. The Bible says sexual fulfillment comes from drinking deeply from one well for all of life. And Solomon actually says, it's possible even as you grow older. I know it might not look like it, but I'm 45. And we've been married for 23 years. And I understand the change of energy, the change of body. I don't have the same six pack I had when I got married. I understand the change, the change of libido and sex drive. I understand the, 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 the season of young kids and sleepless nights. That all happens. But what Solomon says is that even as you grow older, he says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. In other words, she's no longer a youth anymore. Be intoxicated with her. Solomon is saying that, that sex God's way is not just wiser, it's more satisfying. Let me be honest. I am not a better lover, I am a better lover to Renell. To be a real man is to be satisfied and to satisfy one woman for life. It's not to sip from puddle to puddle to puddle. Why? Because it's in the garden of covenant that chemistry grows. We, we have a more satisfying sex life today. Why? Not because our bodies and our sex drive is stronger, but actually because we trust each other more. We feel safer. We feel more free. I've learned what she enjoys and she's learned what I enjoy. We're able to say yes please and no thanks. That actually only happens over time. Those of you who've been married for five years or so, you just go, it's a, you think it's all downhill from here. now. No, it's not, it gets better. It gets, it gets better. You know, one of the things I've learned over time is, is, is my idea of being intoxicated is different from Renell's idea of being intoxicated. You know, I, 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 I used to think, you know, spontaneity was everything, and so kind of having sex in different rooms of the house was just like, this is amazing, this is intoxicating for a man. Come on, be, be, be honest, men. That's, that's what many of you think would be great. And so what I'd, I'd, I'd do is like spontaneous, okay, Renell's coming home, I will leave a trail of my clothes to this room <laughs> so that she can follow. So socks, shoes, jeans, shirt, and there I will be. And I realized that is not intoxicating for her, that's just more laundry for her, you know? <laughs> And so, and so I realized very early on, it's like, for her, what turns her on is a tidy house, is atmosphere, is, is, is seclusion. Actually, as we've grown older, we've learned to know one another better. We had this delightful couple who served on eldership with us in South Africa, and they were in their 50s. And she would take Renell lingerie shopping. And he would help me to fix up the house 
because they realized what our different love languages were. I loved the idea of lingerie. Ronelle loved the idea of a good fixed house. And I was useless at fixing the house. I'd pick up a tool. He was like, you're going to hurt yourself with that thing, buddy. But actually, they, they helped us. And they were on us regularly. At times, it was annoying. They would say, well, 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 how's it going? Are you just surviving or are you thriving? And they would help us actually to have a garden that wasn't just neatly clipped in terms of our love life, but actually had roses and garden arches and actually had creativity, learning one another's love language. Those of you who have been married for a number of years, it's one thing to say, yeah, sex should be in the fireplace, but can I appeal to you? Put some logs on that fire. Fan that flame. Don't just allow the embers to grow dead and tired. Don't just say, well, it's water in one well. I'm committed to you. I mean, take your business socks off and put your head down that well. You know, drink deeply. Be intoxicated with one another. In fact, Solomon says, don't be intoxicated with the forbidden woman. Be intoxicated. Be drunk on each other's love. That's what it says. If you think, oh, God is prudish about sex, no, be intoxicated with one another. This is what Screwtape said to Wormwood as I start to come into land. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, which was letters from a demon to another demon, trying to trap a Christian. And, and these demons called God the enemy, so it's kind of everything turned on its head. And they talked about how we tempt Christians. And so we got a glimpse of what the enemy does. And Screwtape says to Wormwood, the enemy created sex to be enjoyed by humans. Sex is not just for procreation, it's for pleasure, thank the Lord. But gave them only two choices on its use. Either they need to abstain completely or practice absolute fidelity. As the underworld has already managed to make abstinence nearly impossible, the current work involves undermining monogamy. Hell has made great progress in attacking marriage through the mockery of a union built on being in love. Hell will mock you and say it's impossible just to be in love with one man, one woman, but actually that's the way God designed it to be most satisfying. Be intoxicated with one another. And finally, whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we're longing to be married or whether we've had difficulty in marriage and want to get out of our marriage, whether we're widowed, whether we're divorced, whether we have same-sex attraction or heterosex attraction, all of us can find our reorientation in the arms of a single, celibate savior. If we understand, friends, that because of Adam and Eve, all of us suffer some sort of disorientation. We have a desire that is bent out of shape. We go, well, what do I do with this? Do I just sweat it out the rest of my life? No, actually, we fall at the feet or we fall into the arms of Jesus. Remember, Jesus, fully God yet fully man. In other words, Jesus was the most fully satisfied example of what it is to be human. And our culture has told us that to be fully satisfied as a human, you must experience sexual intimacy. If that's the case, Jesus was not fully human. 
And I don't say that without compassion. We've, long, we've walked long enough with singles to know this is tough. It is tough. But we must know that Jesus and Paul the Apostle actually lived fully satisfied, single and celibate without sex. And you know, Jesus, it says, was tempted in every way. Jesus knew sexual temptation. You look at the woman in Jesus' life. You look at Mary Magdalene, who threw, the prostitute, threw herself at Jesus' feet, kissed him, his feet, poured out her perfume. Jesus could have so easily taken advantage of the woman around him, but he was the better, the truer Solomon, who did not use his kingly advantage to satisfy sexual fantasy with vulnerable women. He actually resisted. That's what Hebrews 10 says. Tempted in every way, including sexuality, yet without sin. And therefore, he is able to help us when we are tempted. He was beset by weakness, it says, so that he can deal gently with us when we are wayward and ignorant, when we are disorientated. Jesus is the true and better Solomon. Our disorientation, whether towards pornography, towards heterosexual or homosexual infidelity, towards pedophilia, towards prostitution, even towards flirtatiousness or serial dating, can be reorientated and redeemed in the arms of a single celibate savior. My friends, porn is not God's Achilles heel. It's not irresistible. In the arms of a single celibate savior, when we allow him to so deeply satisfy us, he shares his sin-resisting power with us. I have seen it, I have seen it time and time again. Jesus actually gives another definition for a higher love than sexual love. John 15. Greater love has no man than that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus' definition of fulfillment is actually, sexual fulfillment is there, but actually there's a higher love and it's sacrificial friendship. Gives us another definition of what it is to be fulfilled. And then look at how Jesus deals with people who have stumbled sexually. Look at the woman caught in adultery as we land, John 8. He comes to her and he comes to us, firstly with protection. If you're sitting here feeling vulnerable, saying, I am like that woman, and I know my accusers stand around me. Remember that Jesus in John 8 stood between that woman's accusers and her. He was willing to take the bullet, take the stone to protect her. There is not an ounce of judgment in Jesus. He who has no sin, let them cast the first stone. If you have experienced judgment in the church, I am sorry. It is not the heart of Jesus. Jesus would rather take the bullet, take the stone of judgment than you feel judgment. Neither do I condemn you. Hear those words from Jesus. I do not condemn you. Jesus was condemned on the cross to save us from condemnation. If you feel condemnation, allow Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. To break shame, 
to break woundedness, to break condemnation off you. It's not in the heart of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. There is reorientation in the heart of Jesus. I do not condemn you, therefore go and sin no more. That's not possible in our power, but it is possible when we fall into the arms of a single celibate savior, greater than Solomon. He didn't just give us wisdom, he lived it out. And then he died knowing that we were not wise, not wise or strong enough to live it out. That is a beautiful savior that we can trust with all of our sexuality, broken, whole, and needing to be redeemed. Let's pray.